ASI listeners, welcome. My name is Russ Shaw. I'll be your tour guide on this misadventure known as a podcast here. Season Zero, this is Episode 5 of the ASI Podcast, ASI247.org. This is Jeff Becker, Part 2. You're listening to bumper music by Jeff Suffering and the Hideous Thieves. This one's called Burning World. Yes, some original Seattle music for my friend Jeff Becker, or alias Jeff Suffering, as he's called on Wikipedia, a reference to this band here. Today, talking about solving some dissonance around sexual appetite and how that's processed when it comes to folks seeking help for sexual addiction and how that looks in a relationship. Um, Jeff and I, in part one, left off talking about uh, he was processing some of this um, energy around looking at sexuality or interpreting scriptures like 1 Corinthians 7 and, you know, taking out little snippets out of context and trying to say that women need to do their Christian duty. um, And that's why maybe he has a problem, right? This This is some of how sexual addiction is treated in in some churches and we wanted we got to trying to get ahead of that in this conversation here but I did also want to help you realize that I understand um what it feels like to feel out of control in this this rising aching hunger and if she would just put out I know having those feelings I know what that's like but there's a whole process and a whole space between you that needs to be uprooted and and planting something life-giving and green in that space is is going to be better I know it doesn't feel like that in the beginning and I know that this sometimes can feel like a huge mountain that you're you're embarking on this huge journey and it's not really like that all right um it's going to come to some kind of a climax at some point, right? To use that word. Um, Making decisions to change or interrupt the pattern in your relationship is important. And we address some of that here. Uh, I also had a a few announcements before we uh, get into part two here. Uh, First of all, how are you doing? Right. My my email address is Russ at ASI247.org. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I always love getting listeners' emails. I'm going to address some more of those on the show soon. 
Um, but yeah, send me an email. Also, the website, ASI247.org, um, there's a survey page there, and you can fill out some surveys on the website there via SurveyMonkey. Uh, see how some other folks filled out surveys as well. You're anonymous there, so right, you're you're asked to be anonymous. You're kept anonymous, so it's getting into some of the deeper issues. I ask you nine questions that most people will never ask you. It's uh, I call it uh, breaking bad meets post secret. So if you want to check that out there also if you've had any problems with the surveys i've noticed that there's a few people that filled out page one of one of the surveys and didn't go past that i don't know if maybe it's something with the mobile app on SurveyMonkey that may be an issue um uh, but let me know uh, again russ at asi247.org the survey page also i've been talking about um writing right I, I wanted to write a book for a long time I feel like my story is finally getting to this completion state as far as sexual addiction and that part of my life is concerned so I've been doing some writing about it and I'm actually posting some of the drafts on blogspot so I'm setting it up as a blog and kind of giving the book away. I'm not looking to make a bunch of money off this thing. I'm not a Christian capitalist. All right. <laughs> so, I don't know, those two words going together is like an oxymoron, right? Christian capitalist. I don't I think there's a there's such thing as compassionate capitalism, all right? Like I've been in sales in my life, so I'm not against capitalism, but there's just something to sharing gospel-like emotional kind of meeting Jesus stuff and then capitalizing it on it. You know, I, I don't know. It, it's just weird. And the way that the publishing industry works today doesn't have to be like it was even 10 years ago. 20 years ago, you had CDs and you had books and, you, you know, that's great, but we don't need to do that anymore. I mean, it's great to hold a paper book in your hand, but in the year 2016, um, the price of distributing media today is pretty much uh, the price of an internet connection. So, um, yeah, if the book gets pu picked up and published by a publisher, that's great, but I'm going to be posting uh, parts of it on Blogspot each chapter and this is also a way to keep me writing as well because it's sort of like a podcast like if I can do a chapter a month or two then I'm going to end up completing this this story and some most of it's already written it's just putting it into the space where I'm all right here's a chapter I was inspired by the book The Martian I don't know if you've seen the movie with Matt Damon The Martian before right the movie there was the book the martian that was a bestseller but before the book there was a blog and the author of the martian started uploading chapters that you know eventually became the book so that's part of my inspiration and right now uh again if you go to asi247.org you click on the the link to the blog spot um to my blog right on blogspot that is the book basically and the preface to the book is up right now if you want to check that out 
click on the, the link to the book. It's right there in the top left-hand corner once you enter into the entry gate. Yes, the ominous entry gate to ASI247.org. Doing some little changes to the website, but with what limited resources I have, this is this is what it is. Um, number three point of business uh co-producing the website uh looking for donors co-producers monthly uh that would be awesome if, if someone felt to give monthly to keep this mission going man i would appreciate the support it's it's not just oh hey you're giving money that's great it's <laughs> it's like there really is a ripple effect from this thing that's bigger than i am and um, if you could help join me in, in doing something bigger than yourself, that's really what this is about. Not just giving to this podcast, but letting this compulsion turn to creativity, this energy pour out into something that's bigger than you are. Um, and what I'm really encouraging is these feelings that spring out of what it feels like to do something that's bigger than yourself, whether it's giving to this podcast, being a co-producer or helping out in your community or taking your dog for a walk or calling someone on the phone that may need to hear your voice, um, realizing your gifts, your abilities, your presence in this life. And part of our presence is our toil, right? Our work. Yes, you're giving money is another way that you're actually doing a ripple effect that makes you feel like your life energy is going to something that is actually bigger than you are. And it you feel it. And that's true, man. Like, you know, I felt weird in the last podcast um, promoting one of the app companies I work for, right? Or both. Um, it, it feels weird, but it is an opportunity that I have and I can give away. Um, so I used it. I mean, I've been in this place of time and money poverty to a certain degree, taking some time to be in prayer about my finances again, you know? And I shared my Lyft and Uber codes. Now I have uh, the Lyft code is on the website. So you can click on the pink mustache basically for Lyft. It's the Lyft link. And it's on the website now. And that's the best way to do it rather than using the promo code. If you go to ASI247.org, you click on the mustache and I will give you $50 worth of free rides for starting your Lyft um, account. You download the Lyft app, but you can do it right there through your phone off a link on the website, ASI247.org. This here mission, known as the ASI Podcast, will get $20 every time someone, anyone, signs up for Lyft and uses the service. And as a result, you'll get a free $50 credit, which is awesome, right? But yeah, it's weird, the feelings of being a pitch man or whatever. Um, my constant questioning my own motives is exhausting. <laughs> so, uh, 
anyway, I'm, I'm getting over it. All right. I'm getting more comfortable with myself and whatever this, uh, this project here is. So throwing that out there and here we go after this bumper. Um, when it comes to religious people and treatment and some of the ways relationships are processed, I thought, again, this bumper would be appropriate by 90 Pound Wuss, another one of Jeff's bands from the 90s. Something must break. Very true. All right, we had to look this up. Uh, we took a little break there, and I grabbed a... I grabbed a water from Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. And, yeah. and I looked up. It's actually 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I guess we could start in verse 4 or 5. Jeff grabbed a, a Bible. Yeah. This is... Uh, you. How long have you had this, man? You got lots of notes in there yeah, and this, stuff? Yeah, this Bible's quite old. It's ripped up. I got so many Bibles laying around. This was just the one that I had in this room. <laughs> so, um, right. I knew that I'd... I came down and I said, I'm sure I have a Bible here. And there right. it was. How has Bible reading been post Mars Hill, by the way? It's not, not been to go good. Off the top yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not been good. It's a. So I've had a few pretty transformative books that I've I've read in the last couple of years, and one, while I was still at Mars Hill, was called Unleader, and it's by Lance Ford, and it was amazing, and basically taking the principles from Matthew about lording over one another and not to do that. Right. And comparing it sort of to evangelical Christians' business model of church right. and how it does that. And I was reading that as I was exiting Mars Hill, basically. Um, that was profound. Shortly thereafter, I read the most profound book I've read in a long time. And it's called The Bible Made Impossible. And it's by a sociologist named Christian Smith. Uh-huh. And so what it's about, people say it's about inerrancy. And there's a lot of... Um, the the gospel coalition like wrote a bunch of crap about it and people don't like this book. Basically it talks about the fact that the way that we read scripture, specifically evangelicals, but a lot of other people too, it doesn't make any sense to read it the way that we do because it comes essentially what you end up with is you end up with a plethora of doctrines that, that, there's over 4 million Christian doctrines. Right. And There's over 40,000 different denominations yeah. that are registered in the United States alone. And not all of them are compatible in any way, shape, or form with one another. Right. There's obviously... They all have and, the same Bible, though. And every single one of them is... Most of them all claim inerrancy of Scripture, and mm. yet they all come to a different conclusion that don't resonate with each other. Right. So if that's really how God wants us to read the Bible, then who's right and who's wrong? And there's some implications of it that are pretty vast. So just recognizing that, and he's suggesting we need to find a different way to read this book. And it was really, I've had to re-sort of form what I think about it as... Whether it's inerrant or not, I almost it doesn't really matter. The thing that ends up resonating with me is the story of God revealing Himself through human history, in interacting with relationships with people, yeah. and then ultimately so much that He becomes what He created in order to show us that He has solidarity and understands us and knows us and loves us. Yeah. Whatever theology of sin people have is less relevant than the fact that we have a God who made us and loves us and cares about us. And ultimately will do whatever it takes, even becoming what he made, to have relationship with us. Right. And 
And you, that's grace conscious. That's being yeah, conscious totally. of the grace totally. that we're given. So I like reading the Bible. It just doesn't seem... Um, it's not as life-giving anymore as it was mm-hmm. because of my paradigm shift and my um, need to sort of learn a new way to view those things. Because now when I open it, I start viewing it in the old ways I once did. And oftentimes I get pissed off. Mm-hmm. I get pissed off because I'm like, it can't be saying this. It's not Are you clear. thinking though on maybe another person's interpretation and how you maybe yeah, digested that over That's half of what's happening yeah. is I can't divert the other people's opinion of yeah. how I've read the Bible. And I know that those things are wrong because I have a living God that communes and interacts with me and gives me his word, which I see his principles through here. So when I read it, I usually read it in conjunction with some different perspectives than I have. And then sometimes with some reformed guys still to, to listen, because I got to get the old voice out of my head in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's, it's Mark's voice often, and it feels condemning and it feels shameful and hurtful. And I know this book is not meant to do that. Yeah, that's and true. it used to not feel that way. And now it does. So there's an aspect of interacting with God that I do every day, all day long, all the time. It somewhat seems mystical in some ways because I believe he's present in me and I'm present with him. And um, there's nothing I can do to out his grace or out his um, commune with me because of the work that he has done on the, by becoming a human being. And that in- incarnation encompasses the the death and resurrection as well i'm i'm more concerned about the whole aspect of his incarnation than one element and even the atonement theory substitutionary atonement liberation theology all these different theories mm-hmm. all of them are like looking at a you know looking at something dimly right they're not the whole picture and people in my circles from the past have made substitutionary atonement the thing i remember mark actually said to me well the gospel is substitutionary atonement don't you know Uh, like like as if i was supposed to agree with him and i'm like all right that's good news but i think it's more complex than that and i think it's it's more vast and big like that sounds like a a, a freaking defense attorney giving you an acquittal that doesn't sound like relationship to me that's something that i had to unpack as well yep and to realize that was some of my own you know, so I still believe all that stuff. Right. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. But I put it in more of a relational paradigm than a nutsy, yep. boltsy kind of a, oh, well, here's the law and here's Jesus and he stands over here, yep. you know, acquitting you of your sins. It's not an acquittal. Like Jesus knows me. You know, yep. he walks with me. He's there with me. He's, as, as C.S. Lewis would say, in the warm cabin when I'm standing in the cold freezing and he's got the door we're going, yeah. come in. Like I'm not, you know, you're, you're not out there because I put you out there. You know, yeah. it's that whole, it's interpretation relationally that I think we, some of us lost, you know, and, yes. and Mark, it's an easy, and maybe that's part of American um, economy as well, or marketing. Like it's easy to market that. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really simple, if we can put the gospel in a teeny tiny box you hear it all the time. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. And and it's like, okay, well, it's not that simple, is it? Yeah, I have a much more um, sort of 
fascination with Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Lutheranism, and Anglicanism lately. All of those, because they're older, well, especially Catholicism and Orthodoxy, but Anglican practices are like some sort of weird hybrid of Reformed, particularly Lutheran and Catholicism, that I find rather interesting. I hate the hierarchy of all that. I'm an anarchist, right. I'm a Christian anarchist, so I do not <laughs> like the idea of having hierarchy in the way that has the potential for power to lord over one another. Right. I don't think hierarchy in itself is bad, but it needs to also have a flat thing going on where everybody's treated equal. But somebody owning particular roles that are just, that everybody agrees with, that's a part of that thing, that's great. Like, my wife and I do different things, and we've made those decisions to have some different roles in our life. Um, they're traditional. Right. Not for any other reason than that's the decisions that we made, and we kind of like it. I kind of like to work, and she really, we do homeschool even, because she likes to stay at home with the kids and do that. Right. Not because we're opposed to public school or or think that the world's going to hell in a handbasket or anything like that. We don't. We just, there's certain things that we made decisions and it's based on who we are and the, the dynamics that we have as people. Um, and I think that that can happen in a any sort of structure that involves folks and you need some sort of people to own certain aspects of something because it's too confusing if everybody does everything or it's too confusing if nobody owns anything. Yeah. So I, there's I, no leader. There's no, yeah, it's not necessarily a leader as much as it is strength. In maybe. my opinion, like this person's yeah. gifted at this. So let them have yeah, say exactly. in that area. And yeah. if our community expands and there's other people gifted at that, then let them work it out together how they want it. And yeah. maybe they'll divvy up the responsibility. Right. Needless to say, I don't like the hierarchy behind those types of things and the ultimate power that's passed down through the torch or the keys, I should say, that was given to Peter right. and then through the Pope and that, that lineage. I'm not down with that as much as the liturgy, the, the embrace of mystery that they have in those, those faith traditions. So it ends up becoming an Episcopal thing that I really, really like, the Episcopal Church, which is associated with Anglicanism, even though they kicked them out recently. I love the fact that they have women pastors, they have gay pastors, or priests, or what what are what are they called? Um, rectors. Rectors, So yeah. they, they have those folks from all over, and the the you can do anything except don't mess with their liturgy, but you can have different theological positions as long as you basically embrace that, that there's this mystery of God incarnate right. in Jesus Christ. And so everybody, in terms of that, like, that makes sense. You have all these different people with all these different complex things going on in their bodies and their heads and all sorts of stuff that are wooed by this story of God being human in such a way that um, they end up every day administering... I mean, this is what a priest does. A priest administers sacraments... Uh-huh. Meets with the dying, the sick. Right. Um, meets with people who just need help and prayer in the congregation in the neighborhoods. They don't have to rally a freaking team around to publish a bunch of books and <laughs> make some cultural influence and kick ass. I would even submit... Here's another book that I've been reading. It's called To Change the World. It's by J.D. Hunter. And it's it's like the tragedy and irony of evangelical Christianity or something like that is the subtitle, but it's uh, essentially saying it's really stupid for us to think that we can actually make decisions 
politically to change and influence culture. Like that, that's not how history works. History sort of breeds these things underground and these ideas and these, these relics. And it's really complicated. It's more than just ideas. It's, it's experience. It's all these things happening. And years and years and years later, there's somebody that it, it sort of rise up who's in a charismatic personality who then comes and sort of rallies that stuff. And then it sort of over time, it's changed the culture, but it's already when it becomes anything political, it's already the culture that's being fostered in the first place because everybody thinks that way. Right. So we can see it sort of now permeating like Washington state, a Bernie Sanders state for sure. Uh-huh. Like the things that that guy is proposing to do politically seem radical, uh-huh. but the way that it's come up over the years and look at his value systems his value systems are good. I don't think politics is the place to do it, but that's just my opinion as an anarchist. I want less government control, not more. <laughs> right, right, I don't right. want government at all. So right. I'm extreme that way. But the um, the value system he has, I as an anarchist, I adhere to that. Love people. Take care of one another. Educate them. Feed them. Uh-huh. Do what's good. Give them health care. Like, that's a that's great thing. Right. If somebody's going to tax me, I would much rather have taxes spent on that than go fighting wars and astronomical salaries for government employees. Like, right. I would much rather have those aspects, even as an anarchist. But all those things are present because it's been years and years and years of corporate control and um, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, things like that. That's been decades and decades and decades influencing to a point where it's polarizing. You Then you have Trump, who is he's blaming everybody else for all those problems. Yeah. But he's the problem, in my opinion. Right. Like Guys like him are the problem in the first place. And, and all the support he's getting is just... It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it doesn't embrace anything that's Christ-like. All it well. embraces is kill the other, damn the other, kick the other out. Jesus never says any of that stuff. He says, embrace the other, love the other, accept them. And that's what he does with us. We are the other. And he does that with all of us by becoming incarnate and going to the cross. So I resonate more a lot with that story in such a big way that the word of God is Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. By the power of the spirit, the word dwells within me. Like it's not... And so those who believe, shoved in from the outside. If I open it? a book, I'm opening a book. And I'm not saying that this isn't, this is perfectly sufficient the way that God intends it for us to have. Uh-huh. He, ha- he, whether that means it's God breathed and inspired and is an inerrant, I'm not quite sure that that's as important as the fact that this book called the Bible is exactly what God wants us to have right now in this interpretation of what do I got the ESV right here, right, right now. This is the book that we can open and we can think about what he has for us and our spirit resonates with us. Yeah. You know, I think it, so I think it's more complex than just and how it works itself out. Yeah. So I have a complex history. relationship with reading scripture right now. It's, <laughs> it's pretty interesting and it's right. not grounded in the same things that once was, but it's also not formulated for how it's going to be. It's sort of this, ever-changing kind of thing. Organic kind of thing. Yeah, but that's how I view my relationship with God in general. No, yeah, me too. So I, It's I like solo scriptor, you know. I still... People have asked me, I, I still hold to that. <clears throat> but 
I realize that my interpretation of the Bible can be different than yours, can be different than other people, but I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit with some of that stuff. And I think that in the past, a lot of the shame messages that made their way past my eye gate and ear gate were, you know, brought on by those voices that aren't the Holy Spirit. Like people that want to jack the Holy Spirit's freaking job position, right? (laughs) I know what the Holy Spirit has to say. Like, no, you don't. I'm reading this piece of, of scripture and let's, you know, get into why it affects me in the way it does. So mm-hmm. we're about to read something from First Corinthians. That yeah. And the Corinthians folks, like people might think that you and I are extreme because we come from this city, yeah. right? But these guys were, I mean, Seattle like nothing compared to first, like Corinth in the first century, right? Yeah. I mean, these guys were <laughs> statues of vaginas. Well, yeah, he just talks about in six, he talks about lawsuits against... Other believers, he talks about um, sexual immorality and joining yourself to a prostitute, which had more complexity than what we understand today. Yeah. It was different. It had a lot to do with spiritual worship yeah. of um, other gods, which I think in a lot of ways it still does because we're worshiping sort of self-identity and fulfillment and some gratification yeah. and some whatever it might be that we're worshiping and doing it. And then he goes into... 7, chapter 7 in First Corinthians. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We'll, we'll go on, but it sounds right, right That's there. That's context, right? Instead but, of just cutting out those verses. Do not deprive yourself, because you'll hear that yeah. from some of, some of the guys. It, it, not just Mars Hill. Yeah. There's a lot of churches that preach that. And you get issues where a woman has sexual trauma in her past, totally. and she's told by some authority in a church that she needs to give it up because he yep. he's aroused. It's not cool. Yeah. And and if this was taken literally, it has some subcontext in there that you're basically having sex all the time unless you're praying, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, right. that's just stupid. Yeah. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all of you were as my as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of a kind and one of another. We always presuppose what that means. I don't really know what he himself is. We oftentimes seem to think that it's either non-sexual or asexual, but I don't know. I really don't know about that with Paul. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So he gives context to remain single. Right. But I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying. I'm not positive if what that's that? what he what, means what, by what, I myself. What do you mean? To unmarried and the widows. So Paul's single at this point in his life. Right. I don't know if he was before. Right, it would right. seem like he probably wasn't at some point. Yeah. But I don't know. So yeah, I don't really know. know. Some There's different arguments and different thoughts around that. Uh-huh. But right then he's single. And that's what he wishes that widows would do. But before that, he's saying something about, I wish... Everybody was as he is, but I don't know, is he referring to singleness or not? Right. Like we presuppose he is. I don't really know, because then he refers to it next. 
So it could be referring to it or something else. And then he's changing thought as he moves to specifically around widows to remain. But anyways, but if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry. For it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Um, To the married. and, And see, he's talking... It's so interesting, this whole thing. It's about, it's about, I mean, so many people have in, interpreted that in so many different ways. Yep. The Catholics will interpret it to say that priests should never get married, yep. which I think is so crazy extreme. And that's, you know, a big, huge chunk of, of, the, of Christendom. Um, but there's a lot to be said there about sexual drive, um, appetite, because it, it, I think sex is is has a spiritual component to it that it's not just a, a sex drive appetite, but it, it hits at different levels of appetite. I was also a uh, an, an amphetamine addict. Okay. And so I remember some of that same energy around my compulsive sexual behavior that I had around you know getting that white cloud again in my lungs. You know, this kind of desire that it, I, I need it. One of the most profound things uh, a counselor, a sexual addiction counselor ever told me was, he said, he said, Russ, if you don't have an orgasm, you're not going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that was profound to me. I had to step back and listen to that. You know, mm-hmm. I had to put my hand on my chin and I thought about it like, Right. There's actually a way that God has made for that too. Um, if you have too much in your system for it to take care of, it's called a wet dream. Yeah. Eternal emission is yep. what it's called. Oh, yeah. You actually excrete stuff if there's too much in your body. It That's goes right. away. Yeah. God does that. God made it that way. So yes, you won't explode and you won't die. That is true. That's, <laughs> that's a true. pretty basic thing for someone to realize. It's good that it was profound in that moment. <laughs> it was. It is actually true. What's interesting... It's compulsive in, behavior. If you go on in this passage, by verse 17, he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. It, it seems to me, in context of all that Paul says... This passage is oftentimes seemed out of place, but I think it's not about the intent is more to be one of, I mean, he's talking to a really jacked up place that finds sexuality in everything. And I think it, I think in my opinion and the way that I would, it's more about leveling the playing field and have intimacy with one, with a person in a, in a, in a way that, um, is healthy and helpful because everybody knows there's a lot of um, things associated with sexuality that are harmful to you. Disease, um, there's some psychological issues, there's some other things that can come with promiscuity Mm -hmm. that don't come with um, fidelity. They just don't. So he's all like, we presuppose even what he means by marriage. Like yeah. their marriage in that that culture was definitely different and wasn't contingent on a piece of paper signed by the state. Yeah, like it's something completely different, but it's definitely in the context of fidelity. Yeah, and, and I, commitment. Yeah, but here's the other thing in that culture: like sex was oftentimes. I mean, he's actually liberating it in some ways because sex was oftentimes used either as power, um, power, pleasure, and commodity. And commodity as well as just just to, you know, husband-wife relationship. 
it the wife was pretty much there to bear you children. Mm. That yeah. was it. So you wanted good pedigree. Yeah. That's what you wanted. You wanted somebody from a good family or whatever that meant. And and the the idea was lineage, especially in the 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 class of people that he was probably oftentimes familiar with because he was he was you know uh, he killed Christians. He was probably sort of upper class or whatever in those yeah. tiers. A religious cat. Yeah. At one point of Jews. So that the, the idea like he's promulgating some ideas. There's subtext that's really negative. It seems some stuff that's that's I- I- implicit in there. But I think you can also read it in such a way that no, he's actually calling a husband and a wife to actual have their desires expressed equally within each other right. and their relationship as opposed to seeking it elsewhere and just using the other person for purposes of gratification. Pedig- well, or of just pedigree, or pedigree and, yeah, and, yeah. and but you brought up the words, Familiar. which yeah. I, which I think is great, and that's part of why we brought this piece of scripture to light. I mean, using the words Christian rape culture yeah. Yeah. is extreme, but it's good extreme. Well, it's one you, of those things that's that's good yeah. that we push people's buttons maybe a little bit. Well, I think what it is is it's a context of the rape culture that already exists in our society in general, because mm. there is one. Yeah, and it has to do with our advertising, our marketing, the way that we view sex the way that we value, value it, it so much oh, so yeah. high and yeah. and so to put that in a quote place where you feel as a christian it's redeemable is actually hideous in my opinion because it's saying we align with culture we align with our desires we're going to say it's okay but only in this context is how god approves it no god doesn't approve you using anybody and if you're using somebody as Commodity. I think this is much more about engaging relationship in the cultural yeah, context yeah. than it is about, yeah. oh, lady, you better look good for your husband and give him some blowjobs right. because he wants it, is is what was basically promulgated and came out from a lot of the Mars Hill stuff. And I know how that messed us up. There's books on it, dude. Yep. It's and, true. And specifically in my relationship with my wife, whom, you know, we've been together since high school, like, I have in the past used that scripture and other things in such a way to say, hey, you know, for you to be right, like these things have to, like you have to submit to this stuff and this is what it looks like to be married in a godly, you know what that is? That is rape. Mm. I raped her by using biblical rhetoric and scripture to force her into a shameful place of her thinking that she had to perform sexually to be in right standing and good with God, right. that is evil and that it has a name and it's called rape. Right. And I am guilty and yet I am free and liberated and we've worked through this stuff and we've talked about it. And I, when I named it to her, she could barely, she didn't understand it at first. And then when she did, she agreed with me and forgave me. Wow. And in our relationship, that doesn't fly anymore. Like, she doesn't have to perform in any way, shape, or form. That's great. Granted, because you're right that 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 word rape means forcibly, yep. sexually taking someone. It also means manipulating them yeah. to perform for you. So that's why the complexities of a relationship between a pimp and a prostitute are oftentimes that person has been groomed for a little while to yeah. get them to that place. And how are they groomed? They're groomed by having a relationship with this person yeah. that they feel loved by and protected, even though it's They're volatile. Devalued. Yeah. At times it's it's and it's really volatile. It's a complex relationship. 
that's the same kind of thing that this sort of theology promulgates towards women. And then there's some negative things that I think it did to, to the men as well. Like, uh, it gave us liberties to want to practice things sexually that were, um, not even necessary or helpful. And then our wives feeling like they have to. Right. Like that shit's, that's And that's something that late. another book that was written a while back, and it was one of the first kind of books that came out from Christian culture about taking on the porn issue. Um, it's called Every Man's Battle. Yeah. And there were some good things in there, but one of the things that really bugged me about that book was treating one's, I, I, I called it treating one's wife like methadone. Mm-hmm. You know? That's not that's a relationship. That's not okay. That's not a relationship. No, You're right. It's not. It's not the context that Paul's bringing to light out of the context that they lived in. Like men, not you know, sexual gratification was for prostitutes and other things. Like your wife was being used. He's calling them into relationship, and he's even saying if she has desires, fulfill it. Yeah. And, and that implies, if you read it that way, it also implies things, simple things like. Regular service, not just sex. Yeah. It's simple things like, oh, our house needs to be clean. I'll clean it. <laughs> right. Why? Maybe because it's not your role or my role. It's it's our house and we're together in this thing. Yeah. Right? You know, like simple shit like that. There's an implication that to me is much more progressive in that. And it's hard to read it that way because what it says explicitly will piss me off every time like it did reading it. I'm like, I freaking hate Paul. Like, when I read his crap like that, I don't like him at all. Because Jesus doesn't talk like that. No. Jesus talks like, yeah, don't lord over each other. Don't let somebody, like, you you know, he talks all these things about love one another. Yeah. He talks in these great ways. He gets pissed at the temple, people for, like, selling goods and services in the church. Like, that is, that's radical. And yet we, we end up paying more attention to this guy. I don't know exactly what to do with Paul half the time lately, but I do know when I start thinking about it and I think about his bigger context, he actually did a lot for women at the time. Yeah. Paul did. You have to read it that way though. And it's implicit and you have to read all of what he's saying in context and think about it pretty profoundly in order to come to those conclusions. Conclusions, because the obvious ones are usually shallow and base and very destructive. And I don't think that's actually what he's doing. I think there's a principle behind everything that he says that's bigger than the words that we interpret and read as simply wives submit to your husbands and give it up for them. Because I don't think that that's what God would have in the context of creating us equal male and female. Yeah, it it creates so many different... I mean, you know envy one guy talking about his wife with another guy and then you know well, yeah, my wife doesn't do that you know we get these thoughts in our head and we yeah, start thinking dumb. about it, these you know you're right it's, it's just base and it's using and this is this is this is what i the complexity to me about pornography as a man who likes naked women and for the most part i don't see the human body as something to be ashamed of or avoid um and yet the, the system that any time you click on one thing on the website, the system that it promulgates is one that's dehumanizing and horrible. 
and yeah. totally antithetical to anything good that our culture could have to offer, the majority of it. Sometimes you hear stories about women who feel empowered because they're doing porn. That's the minority, yeah. and I don't know what to do with that, but I do know what the majority of these people have been groomed and they feel trapped and they're in a position where this is the only thing that they feel that they're able to do. And the majority of the content that's made is very abusive towards women. Mm, Not yeah. all of it, but the majority is. And, a, and behind the scenes. Yeah. And this is where it gets complicated because anytime you click that, all those, even if it's like, even if you're, if even if you're watching some sort of like, Husband and wife making love, like pornography thing. Right. It's probably this is clean porn. Well, it's probably hosted somewhere that oh, has yeah. ties to a system that's abusing people. Yes. Even if that one particular thing might not be, it still is. So for me, that's the the complexity in relationship right now is knowing that there's no way to avoid that if you see that stuff for arousal. Yeah. Um, not to mention the psychology around the sort of... I mean, Mark did say some things that were oftentimes helpful and true about the subject, like the neurology and the neuroscience of, of the brain around addiction in general, yeah, yeah. and how that releases those endorphins and it sort of paves that neural pathway that you get used to. And it's really hard to stop. Yeah. Like, it's just really hard to not get used to it. And nobody really wants to... Um, feel like every time that they're aroused they have to go jerk off because it's kind of a waste of your five or ten minutes there's other things you could be doing it's right. not and it depletes your energy yeah your it, body has yeah. to do i mean having an orgasm is a pretty big deal for the body a yeah. lot of people don't realize some of the some of the science around porn addiction people think feeling lethargic um clinical depression stuff like that around folks who get addicted to that dopamine hit you know, mm. and some of the science is saying 90 days, once you get past 90 days, that's sort of the sweet spot in getting to deal with some of the emotional stuff. Mm. So, so that's where I'm for behavior modification Yeah, totally. because it can get you th to that 90, cause you can't get 90 days. Yep. You're going to have a real hard time yep. and there can be emotional implications. Reason you can't hit that mark as well, but you know, that's, it's very important to realize that. Yeah, we're we live in these bodies, man. I mean, that's another thing about the church that has, in the past, historically, sort of been uh, not important. Like we don't need. Like, we're we're talking about the spirit, Jeff. We're talking about the soul. The body is. Yeah, it's a it's a vessel that's going to go away soon, which is true. Yeah, they're pretty interconnected, though. Yeah, they are. There's something about it, yeah. Yeah, we can't just throw the body aside because it's our, you know, it's our earth suit, right? I've even used those words. Yeah, me too. But the, there is, our bodies are very much connected with our spirit, our mind, and our where we go. Yeah, I think those connections to that um, and what I would call the systems of the world, which are pretty much made clear in, in scriptures to be the things, in my opinion, as an anarchist, it's not the principalities and the rulers of this present darkness, this age, um, I believe are the systems that we place and we create that have power, that lord over one another using violence and manipulation and coercion. That's right. what I believe that they are. And I think that those are the spirit of the Antichrist and demonic. Yeah. Pornography is one of those. Yeah. It uses... Um, things to titillate you, to get you to a place 
that's a horrible system against other human beings that uses rape, manipulation, coercion, violence, and the, the, the all forms thereof, because usually those relationships are complex and somebody's, oh, you're so beautiful, like, yeah. You should take some pictures or do these things, and or even they empowerment. Have this, yeah, you'll feel empowered. Like you don't have to; these men don't have to tell you. But what if to it's do. manipulating, yeah, and coercive to value get them system. there, it's a total different economy. Yep. It ends up being all about money, and the whole thing yeah. is all about cash, which is which is another god that we worship in our society, yeah. and it's another idolatrous god that's not going to bear good fruit. So. There's sex and money wrapped up into this one thing, and all you're doing, even if it, you're not paying for it, you clicking that another validation for that system for those people that you should be a part of, that it should continue to exist. Right. So you're continuing to exist, and then it has ties to sex trade and prostitution and all these things oh, yeah. coming off of it, even if they're not direct right away. There is some that are actually run by the same mafioso and stuff like that and the same sort of underbelly. Some are more legit organizations, you know, they're like actually legit businesses, quite a few running this stuff. But a lot of them have ties to all sorts of really negative things that's harmful to our society, harmful to participate in because it promulgates it. Those are the types of things that I think about now more when I'm aroused to view nudity and 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 pornography because i can't honestly say i hate it i i I like seeing images even if it's acting i like seeing people seeming to have pleasure with one another i don't like the images that it seems like somebody's being abused and hurt but even if it's acting like the ones that seem like people are having (laughs) a good time if they're good actors it's better yeah, or if it's you know sometimes that Somehow. stuff probably is legit, but right. but the the fact is 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 that stuff is interesting to me in in a sense that I'm a white straight guy and I can't tell you that it's not um, there's not something not arousing well, and there's not something beautiful. Let's get into your story a little yeah. bit, Jeff, when it when it comes to that because you've talked about. I hate this. Hold this. on, let me finish real quick. I okay, hate sure. This, I hate the systems that it promulgates, okay. and I don't want anything to do with it. Right. That's what I, I, I mean, but I can't deny that I I wouldn't say that, oh, I'm so guilty and shameful and I hate it. It's like, no, Christ has died on the cross, and when I do that, I am forgiven, but I don't want anything to do with it. It sucks. Yeah. I think it, it it's a terrible system. It's dehumanizing. I don't like the, the chemical things it does to my body and my neurology. Uh-huh. And, and that's part of yeah. dealing with with our shit, right? Yeah. Like that's one of those things. I mean, the, my people have said that I, I, I'm too simplistic in my definition of addiction, but I guess as a, as a theist and everyone who talks about God as a theist, my relationship with God. So if I'm going to, as a theist, if I'm going to define the word addiction, I put it in the paradigm of if I keep doing something I don't want to do, but I keep doing it anyway, that's a, I could call it a bad habit. Yeah. But if you look up in the dictionary, you know, just Webster's Dictionary, addiction, it basically says that. Like, yeah. that's just a, a habit that I keep repeating. So that's part of why, you know, this conversation about around sexual addiction, yeah. where it has its roots and stuff like that. So okay, you, you so talked about story, being, yeah. uh, you saw pornography at a, a very young age. Yeah, when I was 10, I was shown pornographic images from a babysitter, and it it um, sent 
my mind on a little bit of a spiral at that age to 10 years old man yeah to seek it out it's called i didn't realize that that's actually child abuse i I didn't i didn't know for a long time right because my babysitter was probably in his you know early teens or something right at that time and um but that's what it's called and then later we had a neighbor friend um whose dad had penthouses laying around and i you know i'd steal them and hide them in the woods and stuff and um that's also child abuse. They should be well out of the way and guarded from children. Yeah. Um, if you have that stuff, that that's that's. I didn't know those things. The state makes it pretty clear. Yeah. And so it's more complicated with computers around your house and all that type of stuff, where you search something, where your kid searches something on their phone. Yeah. And then suddenly there's a a penis there or something, right? right. Like, like that's there's, not, there's a difference between seeing anatomy and seeing hardcore yeah, sexual interaction. scenes. Yeah. And yeah. there's some of the science around this with, uh, with kids yeah. they've measured seeing pornography at that age in the same realm as, as, as a molestation, like some of the same feelings and the same emotions, the same, you know, it's like you're a kid. And you're going, something is going on in my body as I see these images. That's not ready yet. Yeah, it's violating. Yeah. But we're curious about it. Our hearts are pounding. We tend not to want to tell anyone about it. Mm-hmm. But it goes to a place that's kind of, it's very close to the same. There's not the relational element. Sometimes there is. I mean, this was a babysitter in your case. So, yeah, dude, that is... That is childhood sexual assault. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that until... And when I did, it was actually really helpful to call it what it was. Yeah. And to realize that there was a lot of stuff I was carrying over years about that. Um, you know, there's still... So over the years, that had taken a course of a lot of shame and guilt and hiding and like renting videos and, and looking at magazines and stuff. And it was not as accessible then with the internet because it was dial up and you know later when i was older um dvds they didn't really have that stuff yeah so it was basically dvds and magazines and then you know and i hated that it would cost money at all and so some of the situations later in life you know after i'm married and have kids and all these other stuff and it started to be more accessible on the internet it's almost like crack man it just like it's okay. right there in front of you you don't have to do much to find it yeah. sometimes you you're doing nothing and you find it and usually there's a little bit more nuance than nothing but um you know there might be a pop up of victoria's secrets or something and you go to something like that and then the next thing you know whatever you're you're actually you're, in it you're, and you're yeah. typing out the whatever you the know. imagination yeah. and the creativity yeah. of your yeah. mind's going i got to see yeah. more and then you got your there? phone and like all this stuff and you know what it's just it's it's a little bit ridiculous how easy and accessible it is to anybody and it's hard to like the only thing that i can like there was a period when i was at mars and a pastor there definitely where that wasn't uh, regular occurrence or desire in my life then I think with some of the difficulties and the changes and the dif- differences in me wrestling through I mean I'm 41 years old and this is the first year in my life that I've ever wrestled with doubt mm. Like I just always believed and now sometimes some days I don't mm. I want to when I don't it's interesting I always want to resonate with the story of 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 God in Christ, always, always want it to be true. Right. But some days I'm like, 
this is just me being fabricated or, or having having this stuff instilled in me because I grew up in it and X, Y, and Z and I put myself in these situations. And then I realized the fact that I want it to be true, the fact that I love the story, that's actually the transformative thing. Right. That's actually the faith that God's given me. There's no reason I should even want that or believe it's true in our day and age right. or want to believe it's true. But I know it's in you. It's in me. Yeah. The first thing I do when I doubt is I pray, oh God, you got to be real. This can't be. Right. You know what? It, it produces hope in me. Right. Believing this story, it's like what my whole entire life is about and hinged on and. Like Paul says, we'd be pitied if it wasn't true. And yeah, I think about that. Like, So in that, it's it makes sense to me that there's old proclivities like um, viewing pornography and, and masturbating that have creeped back in, into my life in ways that I'm not proud of, but I'm not ashamed of it like I once was. Like you were. There's not different. like a fear. There, it is yeah. different. It's like... Man, I know these systems that this stuff promulgates. I hate that crap. Why do I... Yeah. Like, now it's a real sense of... Instead of shame, it's a real sense of hatred towards this... The dehumanizing qualities about this and the way that the neuroscience wires it. Um, I don't know about all the stuff that people claim, like... Well, you know, like, eventually you're, you're not going to become aroused by your, your spouse in real life situations. Or I don't, I don't, that seems like a bunch of crap to me. Right. Uh, maybe depends on how much you're using. Yeah, and maybe it depends on who you are and some other variables in there. Right. But to me, it doesn't seem like that will ever be a possibility. Um, <laughs> what is, what is, there's, a, there's another podcast I did recently. I played a, a video by a guy, not a Christian guy, too. This uh -huh. is a behavioral evolutionary biologist who did this video on a, on a concept called PIDE and it's called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Oh, okay. Which is, which is a real thing. Yeah, it is. And it's not just some it. guy with his religious thing, right? Yeah, Trying yeah, to yeah. give people the... But yeah, you're right. Some of it is, is but how, it's how, how much you're... Yeah. yeah. It's like depression, you know? Some people experience a clinical depression. Some people experience depre seasonal depression. It's experienced in different forms and in different ways. So I'm not saying that right. that stuff doesn't affect me I'm, or, my, or my relationship sexually with my wife. I mean, she knows. Like, she knows if it's affecting yeah. uh, our stuff. And, you know, there's, a, there's an element where I'm not alone. I could talk to her about it anytime. I can talk to a lot of people about it and... The point is, is I've come to terms that I need something bigger than myself. I think it's Jesus Christ and I need some kind of intervention. Otherwise, the truth is I am doing behavior modification and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I prefer transformative ideology when right. something transformed me so much that that's just not an option and I'm not interested in it. Right. Now that would be amazing, but I don't think that's most people's story. I think that most people's story is sort of a check and balance of, of saying no, not beating yourself up when you say yes, yeah. um, getting back, being honest about it. And really the biggest thing is knowing for me, knowing the systems that it, and seeing that very clearly, like it's a very clear road of every single time 
you hit something, you're validating something that's evil. Right. Like that's horrible. Whether that promotes you're, whether sex you're trafficking, uh, yeah. Whether you like it or not. And at minimum, yeah. if if you don't agree, if some people don't agree, it promotes sex trafficking. But at minimum, which I do agree that it does, yeah. but at the minimum is what it's doing is it's promulgating rape culture. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Because the the women, even if it's more voluntary, even if it's the most positive, sex positive thing possible about, oh, from a woman who owns a company who is starring in her own films because she wants to, because she wants to make money. That's the reason why she's doing it. Don't let uh-huh. anybody fool you. It's because they want to make some money. Exactly. Um, with her husband, even. Uh-huh. Like, even if it's that scenario, what it's still doing there was an element when she got into it that she probably felt that was the only direction that she had yeah. and the only thing that she had to and do. And that is the definition of sex trafficking. Yep. And that is also the definition of yeah. somebody coerced her at some point into this and it was probably a man. Yeah. At some point, that's the even the best scenario. There's something shady throughout the history of it that existed to get to that point. Right. I've never heard any story that doesn't have that. Right. So, so let's go back because what you just said is important and it also corresponds with um, a Christian rape culture and yeah. using our wives as methadone. Yeah. And so I want to kind of maybe tie this in and, and with you here because you're bringing up all these great thoughts yeah, yeah. that I have just from your transparency. And I thank you for your, your transparency, man. You're just, that's what I love about you. You're just raw unfiltered Jeff and I love rough unfiltered Jeff I love that about you um what what you had what you're talking about and I think a lot of folks are going through this and it's not just a Mars Hill thing it's a sexual culture thing it's not just a this is the world secular and this is the the church or religious um there's a big difference between, and maybe this has to do with Christian mysticism. I don't know, but I'll, I'll throw it out there and see what you think. Um, there's a something that Zach said. Zach is another guy that does a show called Losing Our Religion. Zach and Sandra, said, yeah, good yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a, I, I love his podcast. One of the things he said on there was, there's a big difference between losing your religion and losing your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue, and this is controversial, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that in order to really take on this issue for a lot of people, especially when it's life-altering, when it's crushing them, when their spouse is, you know, there's this whole storm around it, you're going to have to lose some of your religion. Mm -hmm. People are going to have to lose their religion in order to gain a different view of faith that's more based in valuing other people and loving like Jesus did and approaching our neighbors, our community, our, our women as men, right? Mm-hmm. W- with a whole different worldview that isn't, you know, this structured kind of thing, but it's more in relational mystery than it is. Even reconstruct, deconstruct, reconstruct. Like I've heard that. And I'm, I'm starting to not like that anymore because mm-hmm. it sounds too... Um, Structured, right? It sounds almost too intellectual, too. Yeah, yeah. It's more like it's more like, and, and this is another metaphor I came up with. I did the last podcast. I was like, you pull up a freaking weed, and you got a brown spot in the grass, mm. and something's going to grow there. 
I mean, Mars Hill, for example, was a brown spot. A lot of people is awakening to, to sexual culture today in the church and all of the, you know, half the guys sitting in church are porn addicts. Yeah. The other 30% are lying about it, right? Yeah, totally. So as as a Christian culture, when we we approach this issue... <laughs> and 1% are totally asexual, right? That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying, right? Like, we're what does it look like to pull up this friggin' weed, look at sexuality for what it is really in it, it as its human form with all of the mystery and all of the stuff that God put in us as people to just love each other? I don't know. Am I sounding like John Lennon too much? No, or? no, no. I, I'm right there with you. Like, I, I think... Um, I think that if the mystery of God incarnate and the work that Jesus Christ did actually accomplish on the cross, if we believe it in reality, then certainly it's for everybody and certainly it doesn't matter whether we actually believe it or not. And certainly it, because it still happened, if it's historical and real, then the ramifications can be much bigger than we think. And for us who know and believe it, it's beautiful for those who don't or might be skeptical about it, I don't necessarily believe that they're outside of the kingdom of God. I don't necessarily believe that they're in. It's a great mystery. I don't really know. Scripture contradicts itself that way all the time, over and over and over again. If you read it, right. if, you, if you exegete it to fit your own paradigm, it's going to be, um, it's going to fit into either a I got to do X, Y, and Z for God, or it's going to fit into what I just described. Like either way, like there's not a, there's no in between. Like I don't have to do, I could sit here on this chair for the rest of my life and still be saved and be with God. I don't have to do a damn thing (laughs) for that. It's free. That's why it's so scandalous. And it's scandalous because it's crazy. No, would I want to? No, not really. Uh, There's always, even, even like Mark used to use the, the thing about, Guys in their 30s playing video games in their mom's basement and sleeping all day in their pajamas. Certainly there's people like that. And the reasons why are probably much more complicated than he would even give give any nod exactly. to. Like, what if somebody's autistic? What if, what if somebody's... Um, nobody's going to probably be in that same position for the rest of their life. Very few would be. Right. Very few would be. Like they're just not like most people eventually get bored of whatever it is that they're doing and move on to something else. The next thing. And generally speaking, if you live in a city or somewhere that's even the suburbs, most of the time you're going to have human interaction with other people and be fine with it. Even if you're introverted, like sure there's fringe crazies, but what, what he's talking about and made as a stereotype yeah, he made a stereotype that has much more complexity than we thought, and then he demonized it. Like, there's no reason to demonize somebody who's maybe their mother like needs some help, and so they live at home with her, and yeah. she needs some help, and and they're helping her. I there could we're be all sorts a, of things. We're starting to go to a culture now. Like, you have a few housemates here, mm-hmm. totally. And we're I, there was an article in the Seattle Times. Where we're starting to go to a culture that is less one couple owning a house and then there's more... I mean, people are buying houses together because it's so expensive to live in the city and we're becoming so, you know, just compacted into this this space. 
Yeah, there, there's all sorts of complexities around the things that he brought up, and sexuality is one of them. And I don't yeah. think using anybody, even with a biblical agenda or an understanding of scripture that's to me completely sexist and and terrible and like i said results in rape i don't think um it's justified in any way shape or form just like i I just don't i don't think it's healthy for humanity i think the grace of god is there Uh for all and people can totally have a different opinion than me and it's fine but how i choose to live my life is based on these things that i talk about and i am a hypocritic hypocritical often and it's and it's paradoxical at the same time and it's right. complex and it's nuanced you either yeah. you're a hypocrite or you're destined to be one yeah well totally i have those i have those neural pathways in my brain definitely conditioned towards dopamine and the easiest way to do it is with my friggin right hand because i control that right like i don't have to buy a drug i don't have to i don't have to do anything it's contained in my own body and that's dangerous in and of itself like i don't that's a, a form of slavery that in some ways well, I guess it depends on how you define it. And it, has, but it, it, it has to do with how you define freedom as well. Yeah, totally. But it definitely, to me, it's not it's not the most helpful thing. And it's also not the most damaging and hurtful thing. Pornography, yes. that's that, Like I said earlier, that's pretty bad. Um, I don't know about masturbation other than either either you want to continue to build those neural pathways and feel like, you're aroused and your mind's spinning for a long time and, and the only way to relieve it is to get off or right. or you do what you said, those 90 days. Yeah. Like I've gone both routes in my life yeah. and there's something really satisfying about exercising self-control and discipline yeah. and, and getting through those 90 days and, and to that point of... Um, there's also something really satisfying about it just spending time doing something else. Yeah. That you're not thinking about those things because you're not Because I'm not a big date guy. Um, And I've said that before, but that's, you know, there's something to behavior modification, but then there's also something to filling that brown spot, right, with something creative. That's something I have, you know, on the part of my image, whatever it is for the podcast, is is turning compulsion into creativity. Yeah, that's a great idea. Because that's part of what happens. Is, and, and it's sort of an upstream thing too, right? Like instead of counting 90 days, what if what if a guy who's struggling right now, who's always wanted to play guitar, instead of the self-discipline to not jerk off, picked up a freaking guitar? Yeah. And maybe watched some YouTube videos or saw a guy and, and learned how to play. Or, you know, I mean, there's lots of things that we are passionate about, we want to do, but then it comes to that value statement too. And what we place our faith in also has a lot to do with how we value ourselves. Well, it's a pretty low bar. You're not going to have a failure by jerking off. Right. It's, not, that's a, it's a pretty, like, right. if, if you have a, a difficult time in identifying with doing new things as, as, as you need to learn how to do it to be successful or if you don't do it right or if there's fear around that, which there is for me oftentimes, you know, like, those are oftentimes the times that I'm tempted the most to yeah, like, or lonely. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. loneliness, and it's also, do I feel like I'm not going to actually pull this thing off very well? 
Yeah. And then it's like very tempting because if I touch myself, well, I pulled that off. <laughs> like it, it has that's the right. same result. But right? see, though, that's what that that's where the emotional part of the the emotional paradigm and the and the relational paradigm and even our relationship with God comes in because it's that point that's trigger, right? Mm-hmm. Like my friend Seth said, he wrote this book. Uh, uh, feels like redemption. Oh yeah, I was going to ask you about, about that. Yeah, he's yeah, great. He talks a yeah. lot about about triggers. So that's one of those places where we have to deal with our ourselves yep. emotionally yep. to get. And it's not just to get to the ninety days. It's to get to what you really want. Like, what do yeah, you really totally. want? And I don't know. If, you know, for some listener, let's say the guy wants to play guitar. Like, do you really want that? Well, I might yeah. suck at it, or I'm not going to find it. Or I don't have yeah. a good enough. You know, de- dexterity. So that's that fear it moves in, right? Yep, totally. And here comes your your penis sitting on your shoulder. Yeah, and it's like... <laughs> in the red suit. It's the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> All right, just come on, buddy. Yeah, that was successful. You know, just give up on that. Freaking, you don't want to play guitar. No, it's going to be too complicated, but this yeah, will be. Yeah, that's right. It's got a this voice. C.S. Lewis Just touch it, it'll crow. That's right. That's right. <laughs> C.S. Lewis wrote about, and people have called this the Red Lizard of Lust, and I don't know if he was talking about lust. It doesn't really say. It's in, it's in the book uh, The Great Divorce, mm-hmm. and there's this the, the Red Lizard analogy. Have you heard this? Yeah, it's been a while since I read the book, but I've read it multiple times. So yeah, and it's that it's that relationship that we have with the Red Lizard, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Like this guy's got this Red Lizard that's oh, yeah, planted yeah, yeah. on that's his right. shoulder, and that's it's, right. Like he's telling you horrible things. He's saying horrible stuff. And yeah, well, he's walking down the road of, yeah. having a conversation. Yeah, the with angel the other. says, "Hey, I can get rid of that for you. I can get rid of." It. And then the and then the lizard goes, "Yeah, he can get rid of me. You know, he's telling you the truth. He can get rid of me. He could discard me in a second. But then, what do you got to do? Yeah, totally. You know, the lizard starts then pleading for his logical thought. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the good things about." about that approach yeah. is is just do what you want. And even one of Seth's uh, things that he said that I've been afraid to go there in the past and that's some of my own shit for whatever reason. I don't want to tempt people. Maybe it's his biblical th- kind of thing, right? Yeah. Well, don't tempt a brother. But one of the things that Seth said is just go for it. Like, why don't you just binge, have a freaking porn binge all day long and then see how you feel afterwards. Yeah. You know? Well, it's not going to do anything it's not except freedom. for disrupt your life. Exactly. Like it's not your. It's not freedom, and we know that, but even intellectually. Part of the reason why people would say don't tempt them to sin is because, um, when you're saying that, you're not actually tempting them to sin. You're just telling it like it is. Yeah. Like the temptation comes from the fact that they already want to. Yeah. So, I think some of that scripture might be more around introducing people to new ways to um do things that are more or less devaluing to other human beings like which once again like pornography the fact that it exists that's a that's a worse case thing for the people and the the makers and content creators they're doing it for money they know what appeals and they're using people and playing off of our emotions and our desires it's the same with like marketing products. Um, I, in some ways, have a complex relationship with design and marketing because it's also one of the most prevalent artistic forms in our society that pays creative people. Right. <laughs> and yet, the truth is, all it is is manipulation and coercion. Like, you don't need that shit. 
Right. Like, there's a difference when it actually is created. We need to make people aware that we're putting out this product that could be helpful in their lives. Yeah. But most of the time, like, why do you need another fucking, like, iPhone commercial? (laughs) Maybe if you put out a new one, okay, there's a new iPhone coming out that has this feature that would be helpful in my life. Okay. But, like, marketing just so more people buy it. Everybody already knows that shit exists. Like, you don't need, like, beer advertisements. Like, I know it exists. (laughs) Like there's beer at the store. I go there, but yeah. it's it's. We got the Georgetown Brewery not too far yeah, from totally. here. Yeah, totally. I love that place. It's one of my yeah. favorite products, and I've never seen a commercial. Yeah, they don't need a commercial. <laughs> they don't yeah, need a commercial. It's 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 weird. So to me, there's like a power play and a dynamic with all that stuff that is difficult. But I think when you're coercing people, particularly using violence against them, which. And pornography's progressive. Which pornography like does. It, it'll start oh, yeah, with yeah. something, you know, like the couple in bed making love, and yeah, this yeah. is her husband, and so it's all good. But when we tell ourselves that that's going to satisfy us, just those images? Yeah. You it, know doesn't. it doesn't. Yeah. It always gets worse. Like if you're masturbating to a midget and a donkey and an <laughs> alligator totally. at some point, you know. <laughs> Something wrong. Something progressive happened. Something. I think in my life, personally, it did progress to some pretty dark places. And um, now, like, the cool thing is, is that's actually, that is something I have experienced, quote, transformation in. Is like, that stuff horrifies and disgusts me now. Things that I might have found, like, titillating before, I'm like, ugh. Yeah. That's horrible. Like, I can't, I can't even stomach, like, coming across or hearing, like, about women in like gangbang scenarios or multiple partners or even like even like anal sex and stuff like that there's a something about it that just seems which is a weird thing to say about that but i'm not interested in that anymore there was a point when a lot of that stuff was like yeah let's see that that's interesting and it it progressed and seen i've it's almost like i seen too much wipe away my eyes like i don't yeah like it's horrifying maybe it's because i have daughters now or something but anything that seems mildly abusive the only thing that actually is titillating in those things to me and that i'm tempted to view is literally when it looks like the two people are enjoying each other that which is uncommon in that industry anymore it's harder to find that stuff so by the time like i actually if i'm gonna look for it by the time I actually, like, like I start seeing things I don't want to be seeing, and I'm like, ugh, this is horrible. I don't want right. to see this. And so half the time, it doesn't even produce the fruit that I wanted it to in the first exactly. place. Because I'm, ugh, I don't want that. That's terrible. Yeah. But that's just my experience, and I don't know how that... It seems a little miraculous to me that that sort of progression reversed itself. Right. But I do know about the progression, because at one point I remember... Many years ago, like finding things that were, you know, like pretty much S and M type stuff, um, attractive, and it's just horrifying to me now. Yeah. Like I don't know what it is. There's yeah, some me too. maybe that is the mystery of the conforming to the image of God by the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's yeah. what He's doing in the me. Day. It, it might be. I don't want to say Some, or right. not say that it's that. Um, because I really don't know, but I would like to believe that that's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the, I would like to. It, it's out there. For me, it was, uh, and this is some of the, so this is where I started, entered in at Mars Hill. Like I'd had some 
some good success at going after my porn addiction. My porn addiction wasn't just porn. It became prostitutes. Mm. And I was... Such dangerous behavior. Yeah, it was really... I mean, the... It's the grace of God that my wife didn't catch anything. Yeah, totally. I used a condom every time, but that wasn't always there. You know, yeah. breakages a few times, and and it's amazing you're still married. It is amazing I'm still married. Yeah. Absolutely, my wife is beautiful. Um, gives me way more grace than I deserve. I thank God every day that I'm still I'm still married to her. Yeah. You know, what I put her through, and and even that I do this, Jeff. Yeah. Doing this ministry podcast, like she's seen some of the fruit of it, so she knows that it, it's helping people, it's making a, a good ripple effect in the world, but it's still painful. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but for me, I was really roused by gangbangs. Mm-hmm. You know, I would watch gangbang after gangbang. And it wasn't until I got into to Mars Hill and I did some of the groups. James Noriega did a group that was like Thursday nights, and it was men and it was women, and then it split off. I don't know if that was Grace Groups or it was just a yeah, Thursday it was Grace night Groups. Group. Yeah. Okay, there yeah. was Grace Groups that be out of Grace Groups and redemp- and Men's Purity Groups came Redemption Redemption Groups. Yeah. Right, right, all right, and so, a few other groups that existed. And what I what I gathered from that was dealing with my own childhood sexual abuse that I didn't want to talk about when I did I was always in tears about it freaking out I didn't I mean I'd shut that I never told anybody until I was 38 years old wow yeah and so realizing that at one point um I'm not trying to keep it together some boys uh held me down and 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 raped me I, from what I can remember, it was it was an older boy who was in the neighborhood. I was nine, and he was probably sixteen or seventeen. I don't know. Yeah. And and two other boys, and I left my body at some point. I remember a point where I was just not in. I I don't. Well, I kind of blacked out. Like I I'm missing memories from that event, yeah. and I just was kind of carried out. I don't know. If God took me out of that situation for for a little while and then it brought me back into my body or what it was but you know that was one of those things that I, I realized why it was one of those things like that's why I loved the gangbang scenario because I was that woman being devalued and violated yeah. as much as it aroused me and that's what I hated about myself that I got aroused by it that I was that I went back for it even mm-hmm. That's one of the ways he kept me quiet. He said, you, you're going to tell people this? Like, you, you you came back for it, you know? And I don't know if that hits anybody out there, but... So all of the feelings of shame that attached itself to that, and even religion. So I'm going to a church, and the, and the people in the church are saying things like, God hates sinners, or, you know... I mean, it was just it just tied all this stuff together to where... The shame was such a huge thing that yeah. the church poisoned me with to a certain extent. You know. Jeez, man! Thanks for sharing with me, hon. Yeah. That's tough, and it makes sense. Those connections. Yeah, and it's something that you know you brought up with the, like, why did the, some of the fetish stuff? You know, yeah. the fetish stuff that we view in pornography. How, how we view ourselves and value ourselves through those 
those images that we're seeing on the screen, you know. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that with me. I mean, it's, yeah, that stuff's tough. And having the, hearing other stories like that, it's, uh, it was also a reason that it was difficult at first to name what happened to me because it seems so small, but the effects, like, they linger, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and, yeah, that stuff's tough. Any closing thoughts for uh, somebody yeah. not necessarily struggling with porn out there, but... But, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're a yeah. punk rock guy like myself, and we yeah. we kind of lived our lives at a certain point not thinking about what we should or ought to do or those mm-hmm. kinds of thoughts and feelings and... What would you say to someone who uh, out there who's just listening to this podcast for the the reason that maybe they feel out of control in their own bodies? Um, I I would definitely go to a place of mystery. Embrace the mystery that there's a living God that would become like us in order that we can know that we have a God who understands us. To me, that great mystery is beautiful. The story of it's beautiful. Uh, I think it's helpful. For those who do believe that, for those who don't, I would um, I would say, think about it. It's a beautiful narrative. Yeah. Um, it's a great narrative. And I think it helps in all these things. And when you feel disconnected from something... It's nice to have hope in something. Yeah. It really is. Even... Something bigger than you are. Yeah, it seems to produce something. And it's nice to feel loved. And I think that the person and work of Jesus Christ historically can give us that in such a way that's meaningful and powerful in our lives. I I do believe that even though, like I said, this last few years has been difficult and there's been doubt and all sorts of things. I always come back to that story and every time I feel refreshed once again. And that's why I I think it's so important for um, Christian leaders who do, quote, church, that that's the focus. The focus is give people the grace of God over and over and over and over again. That's why I love like the way Lutherans do communion, especially those Lutherans that have an open table because not all of them do, but the people that do have an open table, they literally believe that this is blood and body and it's wine and bread. Mm -hmm. But, but what transcends more of that is it's the grace of God for you right now. This is the grace of God that you're literally eating and drinking right now for you. Not that it becomes, but that it is. And somehow that transaction, whoever's present in that service and takes those sacraments, you have just received the grace of God for you. Right. That's beautiful. Right. That's so mysterious and cool that um, I, I think that's in everything that you commune with on a daily basis. It can be, and yet that's an extra special time, but the grace of God is for you. And the grace of God is for you and your confusion and your addiction and your doubt and your pain and your fear and the trauma that you've experienced and the trauma you've inflicted on others for the rapist like myself. Um, As I described in this thing, I named it that and I feel that that is true. Other people will definitely argue with me. 
but man, like, you have solidarity and beauty within um, this world with other people. Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's church. Yeah, the church is definitely... Um, people. Yeah, the people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jeff, Thanks. man. Thank Thanks you. again for doing yeah, this. Totally. I'm sorry I took so much of your time. Oh, no, don't be but sorry. It was a good conversation. Good. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Thanks for asking me. You bet. I don't talk about this stuff nearly enough. It's been a while because, you know, I used to have community groups.